Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, February 17th. Episode 56 of the Sports Wagon Podcast begins now. Hello, everyone. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Uh, excuse me, it's a little early. <laughs> Hit me up at uh, Twitter. It's it's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Oh, man, a lot of stuff in this show. Um, a lot of good, some bad, some crazy. Um, there's so much I'm really thinking about. It, it's time for me to do a few sprint episodes because, you know, it's February 2021 and people are actually, believe it or not, actually getting crazy again. Um, so many things to talk about, but we'll kind of get through a few things here. Um, so last week, I believe in the last week, the Houston Texans released J.J. Watt at his request. So I wrote that sentence, read it first, wrote it, read it. Then thought, wait, so J.J. Watt asks for a uh, release and Houston Texans are like, OK, sure. <laughs> but Deshaun Watson's still out here, you know, trying to get released, but OK, or get traded. But no, nothing fishy about that. Um, so Watt was the 11th pick in the 2011 draft. He's a three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, so three straight, so from 2012 to 2015. Um, so it's interesting his trajectory on the Texans because you know he was you know he came out of you know college, didn't have a lot of hype behind him. He got booed on draft night, <laughs> and then. You know, next thing you know, he goes out, he works, he does what he's supposed to do, you know, because that's what J.J. Watt does. And he becomes the face of the franchise. Amazing. But I mean, you know, who knew? <laughs> um, some knew, some didn't. But nevertheless, J.J. Watt became the face of that franchise. This season finished with five sacks, two forced fumbles and a touchdown that he returned for interception, uh, interception he returned for a touchdown rather. He has one year remaining on his contract. It is not guaranteed money, so it's about $17.5 million. But if you think about it, he's not going to be unemployed very long. Lots of teams are showing interest. Um, I know the Tennessee Titans have reached out to him. Um, Mike Vrabel, their head coach, and him have a relationship. So him and Vrabel uh, were in Houston together. So Vrabel was on Houston staff from 14 to 17. Um, Then, of course... There's that, well, what if he goes back home to Wisconsin? Oh, Green Bay. <laughs> so um, Green Bay playing that 3-4 scheme would be right up his alley. Um, there's one problem. Um, Green Bay is in, in the hole as far as their um, salary cap money. They're about $23 million in the hole on salary cap. Um, then there was the whole, hey, what about Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh. Okay. His brothers, TJ and Derek are both in Pittsburgh. Um, he would be a fantastic edge rusher in Pittsburgh, uh, with Cam Hayward and Steven Truitt, that three man defensive line, but Pittsburgh, they're $27 million in the hole on cap deficit. So, I mean, you know how it works. These teams will make a way to figure it out. But right now, um, all signs are kind of leading to maybe he might hit Tennessee. Um, New England, they have the money. They could use a, um, a face on defense. So, you know, he could end up in New England. But, I mean, there's a long list of teams that 
uh, are interested or could use his services. So I'm sure by the time I record this and post it, maybe JJ Watt will have a job again, but, but rest assured that, you know, he will not be uh, sitting on the couch for very long. Although I will admit um, if he doesn't, you know, do anything anytime soon, those subway commercials with his brothers and his parents are freaking hysterical, but nevertheless, he can, you know, take some of the subway money and, you know, or, or maybe record some more subway commercials. Although subway, there's been a lot of money. I mean, I, I keep real. I'm not a subway fan, but their commercials are hilarious. Um, cause what is it? The Watt brothers, uh, Marshawn Lynch's commercials are hysterically funny. And, uh, yeah, Dion, you know, you know, a turkey sub and a hot tub. Yeah, that, that kills me every time. But anyway, um, so that's NFL, you know, brief NFL news um, on the college football side. Central Florida has a new head coach. So someone else I someone I didn't think would be unemployed very long. Auburn's former head coach, Gus Malzahn. He has been hired to replace Josh Heupel, who took the Tennessee job. Um, if you recall, Malzahn was fired after eight years at Auburn. Um, he has a, a relationship with the new athletic director at Central Florida, so Terry Mohair. So Mohair was the athletic director at Arkansas State when Malzahn was the head coach, but Malzahn wasn't there very long, so they kind of passed each other. I think maybe about four or five months after Mohair took the job, Malzahn was like, I'm out, I'm going to Auburn. And Mohair had to find his replacement. Um, so the way this works is he gets a five-year contract, roughly about 2 to $3 million annually. But here's the thing. He has a substantial buyout. So if he leaves prior to the end of the year, he declines about $2 million. So um, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I, my note was weird. I read that wrong. So basically his buyout will decline $2 million per year over the next three years. So I think the first year's buyout is roughly about, I forget the numbers. Anyway, he has a, they're basically just hedging their bets because again, Malzahn is a pretty hot name. Now he got canned at Auburn. That was probably the biggest surprise of the, of the last football season with all the firings. And so they figure, well, they hope that Central Florida isn't going to be a stepping stone for him for a bigger job. It could happen. Central Florida, I mean, look, Scott Frost rolled in there, turned them into a powerhouse. Josh Heupel kept it going. I mean, they didn't necessarily have, you know, the same level of players, but they still were a good team and they still have the potential to still be good. And Malzahn with his offense, I mean, he could really crank them back up again, but here's the situation. He could crank them back up. So like Frost got them going. Malzahn could crank them back up and then be like, oh, hey, blah, 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 is hiring. And he could roll out. There'll be an offensive juggernaut, but, you know, he would still have to push, give some money back if he left. So it starts if he leaves at the end, before the end of this year. And then, as he said, it goes down $2 million over two million over the next three years. And then after four years, it goes down half a million. So, I mean, they just wanted to make sure that, you know, if he does decide to leave, that they're not going to lose a, a lot, a lot of money on um, him. Um, so let's go to college basketball. So um, we're 
Wednesday. So the week 13 polls came out on Monday. So just briefly go through um, the week 13 polls and some of the results from the week. So there really haven't been a lot of big games this week. Um, there's a game on tonight that's pretty big. I'll just go over that in just a moment. So for the men, Gonzaga, 59 out of 64 first place votes. They're still number one, followed by Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois. That's your top five. Six through 10 is Houston, Virginia, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Villanova. I'll get to Virginia in just a moment. On the women's side, UConn is back on top. I tell you, that Gino Aurema, man, he you could see him. He could just smell that number one spot a mile away because you saw UConn just kind of creep up. Then they had that big game last week at South Carolina. It was a really good game. But you know, you just knew that okay, the win, you know, the winner obviously is gonna, you know, South Carolina won, they were gonna hold the number one. UConn would drop a little bit, but UConn won that game. And all they did was switch spots. So UConn got 26 out of 30 first place votes. And they're number one, South Carolina two, Louisville three, NC State four, Texas AM five. Six through ten is Stanford, Baylor, UCLA, Maryland, and Arizona. Maryland head coach Brenda Freeze got her 500th victory at the University of Maryland. Congratulations to her. Um, you know, they've kind of been, you know, ever since she won the national championship, they've kind of been, you know, they've been consistent. They haven't been as big of a, uh, a powerhouse as they once were, but they've still got some really good players. Uh, they're in the top 10. They can make a run. Um, so some other stuff has happened with the NCAA stuff. We'll kind of get to that in a moment. Um, from Monday night, big Monday. So, uh, because of a canceled game, I forget what game on the men's side got canceled. You got a nice double header on Monday night. You got a men's game and a women's game. So first up that on Monday night, Virginia went to Florida state and Florida state beats Virginia by 21, 81, 60. So here's what, here's how this went down. Florida state, you've got a team with size you got a team that can get out in transition. They can defend, and they can shoot the three-pointer. So with a team that shoots the three-pointer roughly about 40% you know, uh, a game, they shot 54.2%. So, I mean, they were literally shooting the ball from the steps of the state capitol in Tallahassee. I mean, they, they could not miss. And... You know, when you have a team that shoots that well, what do you do? Your defense has to extend. You extend out three to the three-point line. So you don't want to give them, you know, too much. But what does that do? That opens up the middle. Now, what Florida State was doing, they, their, their ball reversals, their passing was really good. They found the open open man, and they were hitting threes. I mean, like nobody's business. Um, they also shot 50% from the field. So Florida State just had a really good shooting night. Virginia, I mean, you know, we know how – typically defensively stout Virginia is. I mean, really, to be honest with you, there really isn't anything Virginia could have done <laughs> defensively because Florida State was just hitting everything that they looked at. The other thing that didn't help, Virginia typically is not a team that turns the ball over. They turned the ball over 13 times. So they've kind of been not as uh, – they've been a little inconsistent with the turnovers this year. So some games they'll take care of the basketball – they win. They might have a few turnovers and win, but you know, anytime they have a lot of turnovers, they typically um, are not. I mean, any team, you're not going to win. But you know, Virginia is uncharacter is was uncharacteristically sloppy with the basketball on Monday night, so they got a 
uh, regroup. They go to they go to Cameron to play Duke on Saturday nights. That's your big their big game. Your uh, was it was ESPN called in the the uh, Sonic Blockbuster? It's the Blockbuster game Saturday night, uh, eight o'clock on ESPN. So I'll kind of talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Uh, maybe on Friday, we'll see. Um, the second game of the doubleheader, you got number six Stanford went to number thirteen Oregon. Stanford wins by two. So you know. Watching Oregon play, they're a really good team. Um, you know, watch them play twice against Arizona, and they got blitz. But, I mean, Arizona really, you know, defensively, I've talked about them a few times. Defensively, they're such a good team, and they shoot the ball very well. Stanford, you know, you've got Haley Jones, so she leads that team. Really good ball handler, really good shooter. And, of course, you got Fran Belieby. Um, But, again, the, the game was even statistically. I, you know, I didn't see any of the game, kind of saw some highlights. But again, um, you've got a, a Stanford team that, you know, with Tara Vanderveer, that's, you know, kind of making a steady progress. Uh, they're holding on at the sixth position. So we'll see, you know, how everything gets shifted around this week when the uh, new polls come out next Monday. Um, on tonight, Number twelve, Texas visits Oklahoma. That's the that's actually an early game on ESPN, six o'clock. So that is your basketball version of the Red River Shootout. Yes, I said it, Red River Shootout. <laughs> okay, it's the Red River rivalry. No, 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 no. It's still the Red River Shootout. I'll say it. I'll die on that hill. Okay, so no one wants to hear your revisionist sports rivalry history. Okay. Um. In other basketball news, um, Boston College fires head coach Jim Christian after seven seasons. Um, but BC is currently in the middle of a three and thirteen season. They are currently one and nine in the ACC. So assistant coach Scott Spinelli will be the interim head coach for the remainder of the season. So I find two things interesting. Number one, they fired him in, in the middle of the season. Like okay, like. Uh, Putting in an interim coach mid-season or towards the end of the season is really going to make a difference. I mean, at this point, the season for them will probably be over sometime in March. So uh, if they're – I can't remember. The ACC has, what, 14 teams? So essentially the way that they schedule the tournament is I think one team – two teams are odd man out. I can't remember. But anyway, they, they have – several days of the ACC tournament. So your worst teams play first and you have to win from Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, theoretically, if you could win the thing, you have to win games Wednesday up until Saturday. Not impossible, but hasn't been done. But if they are the team that would be the quote odd team out, then their season will be done very soon. It really wouldn't matter if they decided to um, it wouldn't matter if they decided to, um, you know, fire him or not, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, but anyway, um, also the, uh, the athletic director, it's his first year, Boston college, um, Martin Jarmond was their AD for a number of years. He kind of, you know, was in the process of getting BC kind of back on track, uh, in a number of ways. Um, and he did a really good job in Chestnut Hill, but he left and took the job at UCLA. So he had to go from a situation where that was, you know, okay, I know what's going on here. I got this athletic, this athletic department back on a current track to 
going to an athletic department that is, you know, because of COVID was swimming in debt. Um, you know, they had to borrow money from the university. So they, you know, so he said they brought him in to kind of put the UCLA program back on good footing. Um, so he had to kind of walk into a situation where at least Martin Jarman had to walk into a situation where, you know, new basketball coach, um, a football coach that he kind of has to keep his eye on because, you know, UCLA, you know, Chip Kelly, they're slowly turning the corner. So again, when you walk in and it's not your people that you hired, you don't really have that much loyalty to them. I mean, you, you're going to give them a chance, but you know, when it's not working out, you want to bring in somebody, you know, is going to get it done. So this is what Pat Kraft's situation is. You know, he didn't hire Christian, you know, he knew that it wasn't good. Christian's been on the hot seat for a while. And now to pull the trigger again towards this late in the season, the fire him, I think is crazy, but that's just me. Um, so for this uh, team, so for Christian, um, they haven't finished. Uh, Boston College hasn't finished above 500 in ACC in seven years. So their um, last, the last time they had a really good season was 2017, 2018, when they had 19 wins and they went to the NIT. And it makes me wonder, is the NIT going to happen this year? I need to do some research on that because, um, you know, the NCAA is looking like it's going to go forward 64 teams, but the teams that don't make it, will it be, you know, a situation where um, other teams will get an opportunity to at least play some tournament basketball, at least from the NIT? Um, so, a couple things with Boston College. Um, Boston is a city with a lot of basketball talent. And it makes me wonder, well, why in the world are they not taking advantage of that? I mean, you know, you, you're not going to get all your talent in Boston, but, you know, the Northeast, a lot of great basketball players. And it seems as if poor recruiting has hurt the, um, you know, the, the program. Also, their facilities are the worst in the ACC. Um and then if you think about it, Boston is really a pro basketball, a pro city, not basketball, but just a pro sports city. So, you, you know, most of the fans are there concentrated on either the Celtics the, or the Bruins or they're concentrated on the Patriots. Um, so they've gone through a string of coaches in the last few years. The last coach to really do great things at BC was Al Skinner. I think he is currently at Kennesaw State. Um, so he was there for 13 years. Eight of those years was in the Big East, and five of those years was in the ACC. So overall, Al Skinner took them to the NCAAs seven times. So in 13 years, they went seven times and once to the NIT. So in the Big East, in eight years, he had three losing seasons in eight years. So, I mean, five winning seasons, three losing seasons. Their best finish overall in the Big East was first. So in the Eastern Division of the Big East, they were first. Um, in the ACC... He only had two losing seasons in five years. Their best finish under Skinner was third place in the conference. He is the all-time winningest coach in BC history, and I believe he was let go in 20, 2012 or something like that. So, again, out of nowhere, you get your all-time winningest coach gets canned, and then they've gone through two coaches since then. So, of course, you know that 
with a firing, there are going to be some names that come up with it. So let me go through some of these names. So this is all the names. This is some of the names. Um, so John Beeline. Mm, no. Um, of course, Beeline is a, is a big name. He you know started off at Richmond. He had the Michigan job. Then he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I thought was crazy. And he bombed in Cleveland. So with that, with bombing in Cleveland, what he ended up doing. Um, he's now, I don't think he's working right now, but I believe Beeline is 68. Uh, this is a program that needs somebody there for the long haul to rebuild. And that's probably not what you're going to get with um, John Beeline. Uh, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. Eh, I mean, you know, Willard's doing a great job at Seton Hall. I mean, would he roll out from Seton Hall to BC? Eh, maybe. I mean, again, Big East to the ACC. Not a big jump but we'll see um tommy amaker at harvard again i mean he didn't he didn't have to go very far but i mean again that'd be interesting that amaker if he made the jump he would be back in acc be in the acc that would be another coach k former player former assistant who would be coaching in the conference so the other would be uh, jeff capel uh rick patino again patino's kind of in the boat that beelines in plus I mean, I mean, I don't know. Some fans would probably feel some kind of way about Patino, considering all the things that happened with him at Louisville. Um, Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. I don't know about that one because let's think about this. He's doing a pretty good job at Arizona State, but you know, there's been you know a lot of you know talk about okay, well, Coach K, he's what seventy four now. You know, the time is coming. He's going to retire at some point. Maybe Bobby Hurley stays Arizona State. He could get the call when Coach K decides to retire to come home and take over Duke. So maybe Bobby Hurley stays home. State stays put for right now. Um, Porter Moser at Loyola Chicago. Uh, he's a Midwest guy. So, I mean, he, he his name comes up with most jobs that uh, come up because of the work that he's done. Took uh, Loyola Chicago to the Final Four a few years ago. But, I mean, I don't see that happening. I think that just – let's just throw his name in the mix because we can. Um, some other names, Mike Rose from Virginia Commonwealth, uh, Randy Bennett from St. Mary's College, um, Frank Martin. So, Frank Martin – uh, was an assistant at Northeastern. His wife went to UMass, so he knows the area. Um, you know, he's, you know, familiar with the recruiting territory. I mean, that, that's there's some potential there. Um, here's a name that maybe most people aren't thinking about. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, makes sense. James Jones from Yale. So he's 56. He's the three-time Ivy League coach of the year. He won the 2019 Ivy Tournament at Yale, and they're the five-time regular season champions. Um, very, very impressive coach. Um, you know, I think uh, maybe was it 20 a couple of years ago, Yale made a made a a little run in the tournament, and Jones really got a lot of attention. Uh, but again, he's been doing it, you know, quietly in the in the uh, Ivy League, and since the Ivy League is not playing this year. You know, obviously, I'm sure the team is working out and doing what they need to do. But um, there are some names that um, could be sought after for the BC job. So we'll see. Oh, forgot one more. Howard Isley. So here's a name that people are thinking this could be the guy. Howard Isley. He's a assistant at Michigan. So he's working with Jawan Howard. He is a Boston College alumnus. OK, check the box. 
He is a 12-year NBA veteran, Shaq LeBock. So again, some a guy who knows the school, knows the area, played in the NBA, currently working with Jawan Howard in Michigan with that uh, third-ranked program. There's a maybe. So again, you know, BC kind of has to, I think with this one, they should think outside the box, considering that their last few coaches were from, um, uh, what's it, uh, what I'm trying to say, uh, mid-majors. So their last couple coaches were mid-major coaches. So Isley being an assistant at a, uh, at a major power right now, and he's an alumnus, that could be the way to go. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk briefly about the top seeds. So the top seeds were revealed by both committees, the men and the women's tournament committees. So the women's seeds were revealed during the Stanford-Oregon game on Monday. The top seeds for the men were released late last week. So I'll just go through our top 16 teams for each um, tournament and kind of see where we stand. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. So let's go through the top 16 seeds for both the men's and women's tournament. So this is going to be kind of easy because the women's uh, seeding, we'll go through those first. As I mentioned, they were revealed Monday night during the Stanford-Oregon game. And to be real with you, after I read through these 16 seeds as they are laid out, I don't have a problem with any of these. I think the tournament committee has done a great job with this thus far. So we'll do that. We'll do each line. So your, your so your number one seeds in order: UConn, which is your number your top number one overall seed, followed by South Carolina, Stanford, and Louisville. So those are your four top seeds. Your two seeds: Texas A&M, NC State, Maryland, Arizona. Your three seeds are UCLA, Baylor, Oregon, and Georgia. Your four seeds, Tennessee, West Virginia, Indiana, and Kentucky. Now, the only thing I've seen that people have been complaining about, that people, I think, were kind of griping that Baylor was either underseeded, which I'm going, well, I mean, to be real with you, looking at the two line, I mean, you know, State's been playing great ball uh, since they got uh, their center back, whose name escapes me. Um Anyway, they got her back from COVID protocols, and they've just been playing. Alyssa, is it Kunane? And they've been playing great basketball since. Maryland, um, I think Maryland's back. I think Maryland could really make a deep run to the tournament. Texas A&M, I mean, very impressive team. And as I said, I can't say enough about Arizona. I really think, you know, you've got some teams that could really, you know, again, those two seeds barring you know any letdowns these two seeds could really make some deep runs to the tournament um oregon is a three seed again don't have a problem with it oregon i think is better than what you have seen them play over the last few games um um let's see west virginia they've been playing some very good basketball very impressed kentucky and tennessee is four seeds i mean you know the you know the sec has really been a very good league this year. So if you look at what SEC teams in this top 16, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia. So you've got, uh, I'll count that again, one, two, three, four, what, five teams, five SEC teams in the top 16. Uh, You've got two, three teams, four teams, from the uh, Pac-12, I think I see only two 
um, two ACC teams. Nevertheless, I mean, the the the, dis- the conference distribution is 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 not bad here. I mean, the, what the Big Ten is what Maryland, and then you have Baylor. Big Ten is Maryland and Indiana. You got Baylor and West Virginia from the Big Twelve. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Nevertheless, you know, you you see. The distribution of those top 16 teams kind of tells you, you know, who the how the conferences have been um, stacked this season. So with the women's seeds so far, I have no problems with any of these. I mean, um, Baylor, I mean, I think they have time to kind of make a case for either a, a higher seeding or I mean, all this is going to slide as the season comes to a crescendo because we you know we're in the middle of February, the women's tournaments will be starting very soon. So some of these women's tournaments will be played prior to the men's tournaments or around the same time. But nevertheless, I mean, these, this, this is not done, but this kind of gives you a glimpse as to, you know, if the tournaments are tomorrow, how the seating would play out on the men's side. I have some problems. Well, not too many problems, but there's one in particular and it kind of played out on Monday night. So here's go to your number one seeds. So your top seeds, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Ohio State. So your Gonzaga is your overall number one seed, but they but the committee stated that their number one, it's a very razor thin margin that Gonzaga is the top seed over Baylor, the number one overall seed, which I found it interesting. Um, to me, as I've said before, Gonzaga, it's their tournament to lose. Um, you know, guys like Jay Billis and some of these other talking heads. They're like, I'll take the field, which I can totally see that because, you know, when you get 64 teams, you're the best, you know, you've been the best team in the country all season. You have 64 teams. This could go any different direction. So for me, if Gonzaga doesn't win it this year, I don't know when they're going to win it because, again, this is a team that to me, they can be stopped. The question is who's going to stop them because it would have to be, um, you know, you know, Drew Timmy is, um, you know, doing, you know, he had a really big game a few, few nights ago. I don't think they played San Francisco. Um, uh, Corey Kispert, <laughs> let me tell you something. Kispert would have to have the worst night of his life. And then the other guys would have to rally around him to win because again, Kispert fires up shots from downtown Spokane and hits them joints every time he cannot freaking miss. Not to say he does. I mean, he misses, but I mean, I, I don't think I've seen him shoot that good in a long time. Your two seeds, Illinois, Villanova, Alabama, Houston. Your three seeds are Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. Your four seeds are Iowa, Texas Tech, Texas, and Missouri. Now, before Monday night, when I saw this and I saw Virginia on the three line, I said, no, let's jot Virginia down. Virginia's not a three seed. Now, People will make the argument that they got blitzed at Florida State and they're not a three seed. Going back to the game, like I said, Florida State just shot unusually well. You can't really stop that. If if the team is hitting shots, what are you going to do? You can't stop it. But take that off the table, even before that game, Virginia's not a three seed. Frankly, I would push Texas Tech up to the three line. Um... Virginia, to me, I would say five seed, maybe a six, four. I would put them four, five, six. Either I would switch Texas Tech and Virginia, push Virginia to the four line, maybe a five seed. I mean, that's just me. Um, Because I think 
you know, they, they've been playing better basketball over the last few weeks, and that's good. You want to see that. They're not, as I said, they're not as defensively stout, but they have offense this year, but they still struggle with having these dead spots on offense. And that kind of bothers me. That bothered me in the championship run. That bothers me. That bothered me up until that point. And having those kind of dead spots on offense, you know, that that's that that I don't know if they're I don't know the three line yet. Now, if in the next couple of weeks leading up to the ACC tournament, if they start, you know, if the defense gets a little tougher, they start, you know, if, if they can score, I think the first game they played against Towson, they scored 89 points. If they can score in buckets like that and, and clamp down on defense, and, and it really would have to be kind of more the, you know, give me a little bit more, just a little bit more defense to kind of keep the other team at bay. I mean, they're going to blow teams out but give me enough defense to slow the other team down and score some points. If they can do that consistently, then I can see them as a three seed. I can definitely see that. Um, then what will happen is if they did that, then they, you know, you'd have maybe, you know, uh, you know, you'd have the, the tournament committee pushing them up maybe to the two line, which one, oh, okay, that's like crazy. But I don't see them as a three seed right now that's just me the rest of these teams uh again the, the top the one seeds make sense the two seeds make sense um like i said switch virginia and texas tech in that three four line um texas and oklahoma they'll play tonight so we'll see how that goes i mean texas is the higher ranked team oklahoma's on the three line i think i can agree with that um you know i had texas early on you know, still making a making a run. I think they can, but I don't think they are on that level. I think Oklahoma's the better team right now, um, from a you know from a seeding standpoint. So that's my only problem with the men's side seeding. Just you know, Virginia. I mean, as a three seed, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't think I'm seeing that. Um, one note from the tournament: the NCAA is hoping to have limited fan attendance for the tournament. Um, so the tournament is in Indianapolis. So I think the rules in Indiana are a little different. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. I don't, I don't think anything has been uh, flushed out on that for those details. Um, the tournament has basically made a statement that one positive test, quote, should not eliminate teams from the tournament. So based on that, if there was a positive test during the tournament, they would have they would expect teams to you know quarantine mask up socially distance um you know kind of to kind of keep the continuity of the, of the tournament so i i'm going to guess that like the women's tournament which they said that they have a plan in place in case of a um in case of a um a outbreak i'm assuming <laughs> And it wasn't uh, stated outwardly that the men's tournament will have the same situation. Um, but nevertheless, um, and I think with the women's tournament, they also mentioned that they would expect um, there to be um, yeah, seven days of negative COVID tests. So uh, if the women's tournament have these um, uh, these um, procedures in place, you know, my guess would be the men's tournament, I hope, are mirroring that. Um, but nothing was said expressly, but I'm sure that more information will come out as we get closer to uh, Selection Sunday. So Selection Sunday is March 14th. Um, four days from then, uh, the 18th of March will be the 
the first four. So there are 60, you're 60 teams, what, 60, six, seven, eight, uh, or 60, your, your, your bottom four teams. So those last four, so it's, uh, it's actually a field of 68. If you recall, they will play their first four games. Um, they used to do it in Dayton. I'm sure they'll probably do it somewhere in uh, Indiana, probably in uh, probably assembly hall or somewhere like that. And as we mentioned, the tournament is Indianapolis. So I think the final four will be at Lucas oil, Lucas oil stadium uh, in Indianapolis. Um, so with the time I have left, I mean, there's two other topics I want to get to, but again, I think I want to save one of these for a separate show, uh, maybe do a sprint episode because, um, you know, I saw this and it's just, um, another episode, another, um, situation where you've got, you know, college kids doing the right thing and you've got college administrators who are essentially telling them that, you know, you don't have, a leg to stand on you have a place to do this sort of thing so i'll, I'll kind of get back on that i was thinking about it last night and i'm just like I, I can't do it here i might have to do a separate episode the episode might have to have um, a label <laughs> to say i'm probably gonna cuss a lot in this one <laughs> so so I'll, I'll save that one um the last thing i want to talk about is jalen johnson so he's a uh, highly touted freshman at duke um, he's a one and done. Um, he recently, last couple days, I think on when, uh, Monday night, I think the news came out that he has decided to opt out of the remainder of the season at Duke. So he is um, preparing for the NBA draft. Um, and of course, you know how this works, that um, the talking heads, um, you know, there's one tweet that circulated around um, Twitter about Jalen Johnson and, you know, it's like, oh, he's not opting out. What he's doing is quitting. And I'm just like, really? So listen, let, let, let's talk about this for a second. So first of all, if you're so concerned about this young man, why do you care what he does now? These guys, these young men on the when men's side, these young women on the women's side, I mean, in general, they are all playing sports in the middle of a pandemic. So where's your concern about them playing sports in the pandemic? You got a lot to say when this guy decides that, number one, it's going to be better for me to spend my time preparing for the NBA draft because he went to Duke for that, you know, that one season. Um... You know, the, the one and done thing has just been something that has, you know, I'm not I'm not crazy about it, but I mean, I get it. But, you know, Duke is not Duke is having an uncharacteristically not good season. I mean, I think what they're nine and eight or something like that. Um, and. There's a possibility they they're not going to go to the NCAA tournament. So why should he be out there potentially to hurt himself? mess up his draft chances, you know, I mean, Coach K outwardly, as far as we know, ain't, ain't mad about it. He understands. So why are the journalists and the talking heads, haven't heard all the talking heads. There was just one tweet that just went around that people just like jumped on. But I, I, I'd be interested to see what the overall general reaction is amongst the, the talking heads. I'm sure yeah, your friends on Fox Sports One will have plenty to say about this. Maybe not, maybe not Shannon Sharp, but maybe you know his partner 
or the other guy, you know, but, but it, but it's interesting to me how, you know, we have very little concern for these athletes in the middle of all of this, because it's not so much they're playing in a pandemic. There's just so much isolation that's happening because of the pandemic. You know, they're not really getting a full collegiate experience because of the pandemic. And, you know, we want to jump on this kid because he feels that it's better for him to look forward as opposed to living in the moment. Because again, you know, remember when, you know, Zion, uh, blew out his shoe and fell out during against UNC when he was uh, at Duke and people, you know, the, the whole, I mean, if you were, if you were not a Duke fan, you gasp, you had to, have. if you didn't, you have no soul. I mean, he, he fell and he grabbed his knee and people were like, are you kidding me? And that was scary. So he thinks that, and, rightfully so that it'd be better for him to just step aside and focus on his next step in the journey. And, you know, Duke will go on without him. They'll be fine. I mean, what if they don't go to the tournament this year? Okay, great. They've got more talent coming in next year. They've got veteran guys coming back. You know, I mean, they're not going to have as abysmal of a season as Carolina did last year, but Carolina turned the corner. They're better. Um, You know, there's a chance like the Duke's chances are hanging by a thread right now. So with that, you know, I say to Jalen Johnson, Hey man, do, do what you got to do. I get it. You know, um, if they were, if Duke was 17 and Oh, um, this wouldn't be a conversation because, you know, or maybe it would be, I don't know. I mean, maybe because of the pandemic, he could have changed his mind and said, well, you know what? I don't want to be out here on the road, getting, you know, potentially getting exposed to COVID. I mean, I don't know. It's just, you know, you, we don't know because we're where we are. You know, um, I say to myself quite often, we really shouldn't even be in the situation, but you know why we're here. And it is just sad that we have to endure this. But even when we come out of this, there's so much more that we're going to have to endure from a political standpoint, because it's the politics that got us here. It's the politics that kind of keeps us here. And it kind of goes into the other topic that I didn't want to get into, and I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, it's just, you know, the politics um, that exists in our country today, we, you know, we, we're, we're, you know, sports and politics go together always, but then there are some who will tell you that they don't belong together, but that same person that tells you that will be the same person that will be playing a sport, spouting off their politics, but their politics are typically racially tinged but yet will criticize the person who is attacking the very structures that build on that type of racially tinged politics. But back to kind of my point here that, you know, we really don't show a lot of concern for these young people in the middle of all this we should be showing a little more concern. I mean, like I said, 
I'm just all for the fact that we shouldn't be playing, but we are. And we know why, because let's face it, you know, the sports leagues, the NCAA, it's about money. It's, it's always, it, it always has been, you know, wanting to reopen schools. It's about money. It's about, okay, well, I want my kid to be in school because I don't want to deal with my kid. I want, ba- I want a babysitter. Okay. Sad, but true. I mean, if you're one of those people that's for opening schools, then you're the problem. <laughs> Simple. Um, but, you know, we really need to do a better job of supporting these young people now. And then when this thing is over, we need to do a better job of supporting them when they return back to normal. Because, you know, we talk all this, oh, these kids need our support. Well, you weren't, you're not supporting them when things were normal. So why do you care about them now? So to feign this, oh, he's quitting, he's soft and blah, blah, blah. I mean, stop it. Just stop it. I mean, he is protecting his investment, the investment that He's put in himself, the investment his family and his friends have put in him. Um, You know, the Duke program will be fine. The Duke program has been okay and it will continue to be okay. So with that said, you know, you know, congrats to or congrats to him. All the best to him. You know, he'll he'll make a he'll make a fine pro. But um, we really got to do better when we want to cast these dispersions on these young people who are just doing, making adult decisions, because that's what you do. You make adult decisions and you, you know, you move forward. We make decisions every day. We make a decision. We live with it. He's going to make a decision to not play the rest of his college career. And he's got to live with it. And I'm sure he's going to be just fine. And life goes on. But to call him a quitter, I think is really just pathetic. I think that's just, you know, just, just, you know, some of these writers really just need to just stay in a lane. Just let, let's, let's just not go into that realm. Just stop talking. Just hell. Even if you write, don't even write that. I mean, you wrote a tweet and, and really the tweets been circulating around and people have been just roasting this guy's tweet. But all I say is, you know, we're, we're, we're probably going to see more of that. I mean, some guys decide to opt out early. He's opting out late because the season's looking terrible. I mean, look, I defended Coach K early in the season that he said, well, we shouldn't even be playing. And he's right. But people jumped on, oh, well, he's saying that because the team's terrible. What difference does it make? The timing was bad. That, maybe that's the only problem. Maybe he should have timed his statement a little bit better. But he's right. We shouldn't be playing in this. We should not. I mean, now. I think he probably would have said that if the team were three and oh, he'd probably be like, you know, this is a bit much because, you know, you lose the home field advantage, you know, camera's not the same. Um, It's just, this, this is just not a great situation. We know this, but we're still, you know, we're still pressing forward and it's going to be interesting to see what the spring's going to look like. You know, baseball's trying to start up the rest of the NBA season, you know, and then, you know, the all-star game is going to happen, which again, I think that's a t- in Atlanta. And I think um, the mayor of Atlanta basically said that, you know, please told fans, please don't come to Atlanta. And she's right. I mean, Atlanta, if, if, if people show up like they're supposed to, like they, you know, would typically for a regular all-star game, it's going to be chaos. And the numbers in Atlanta are going to get ridiculous. And, 
it's really going to be an epidemiological nightmare um, from that standpoint, considering there are, that there are now seven COVID variants in the United States. So, I mean, this, this, the, the layers on this onion just keep getting tougher and tougher and more and more. And, you know, what are you going to do? It, it's just, it just keeps getting, you know, it gets a little bit better, but a little bit worse, a little bit better, a little bit worse, but, um, we'll see. Hopefully we can get some really good news, more consistent good news as we move forward. All right, everyone. I appreciate your time. You're listening. Um, episode 57, I hope will be very soon. Um, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about episode 57. You'll, you'll hear about it when you hear about it. Anyway, so don't forget to, uh, if you like the show, uh, rate, subscribe, um, tell a friend about the show here on Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. And until I see you again, take care and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. <laughs>